It's about time because we're going there. Ooh, child, let me ask you some real talk questions. Have you ever struggled in relationships and found yourself saying, I can't keep doing this. Something has to change. Or maybe you feel like you've said, I've tried everything to fix this friendship or this working relationship and nothing is working. Or even, even, have you found yourself here? I love this person, but this is starting to feel impossible. Because here's the truth. Relationships are wonderful until they're not. If you're new to the podcast, I am your host, Bianca Wattis-Oltoff, and I am very excited about the season closer of We're Going There. Because if I'm honest with you, it's been an interesting season. I would say over the last, I don't know, two or three years, I've been forced because of different opportunities in my life to draw some pretty strong boundaries. Now, I've struggled in this area. I admit it. Because, I mean, I've listened to the advice. I've read the articles. But you get to a point where you realize that if the other person isn't willing to change, then there's really not much that you can do. You might feel stalemated. You might feel stuck. You might not know what to do. Well, you are not alone. Author, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author, Lisa Turkers, understands this dance with dysfunction and wants to be your insightful, compassionate friend who will teach all of us that it isn't unloving to set a boundary and it isn't unchristian to say goodbye. You'll be relieved to learn that boundaries aren't just a good idea. Friends, they're actually God's idea. Now, personally, I've always feared that if I drew boundaries, people would leave me or I would be perceived as cold or unapproachable. So I basically had no boundaries. Well, if there is somebody to prove me wrong consistently, it's Lisa Turkers. Not only has she mastered the art of being hostess with the mostest, she even served me fresh baked cookies when I stayed at her house one time. But this woman is stepping into a season of wise boundaries. Now, when I say that she is hostess with the mostest, I really do mean that. I was in Charlotte to speak at a conference a year ago, and I had a hotel issue, as in the hotel was horrible. I wasn't sleeping. It had this weird, funky smell. And jokingly, Lisa and I were going back and forth texting. Well, I just so happened to be meeting up with her to have a quick dinner. And she said, well, why don't we just have dinner at my house? I drove to her house, and as I pulled in, I realized, yeah, her house is way better than my hotel. And I realized that when she brought me into her home, she set great boundaries. Guests stayed in one area of the house and she had the other. Her being warm, her opening up her house, her making me cookies allowed her to love well while still setting boundaries. This eye-opening conversation and dare I say her newest book is one of my favorites. I mean, not only does it give us biblical wisdom and confidence to set boundaries that we can keep and communicate, we finally get to see them working in our lives. In her most recent book, Good Boundaries and Goodbye, it's actually born out of Lisa's personal struggle that she alludes to a little bit in the podcast. But one of my favorite things in this podcast is you can tell the extensive theological research and therapeutic experience that has transformed the way that she defines and pursues healthy relationships. This is hands down one of my most favorite interviews, and I hope you love it as much as I do. In fact, five lucky winners will get a copy of Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are, if you tag at Lisa Turkhurst and at Bianca Oltoff online. It is so important and means so much when guests get to hear how their words have impacted your lives. So share the podcast, tag Lisa. What are you learning? Where are you listening to? Dive in and let's get the party started. Lisa, thank you for being on the show. I totally appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Well, any time that I get with you is fun time because... Besides just being both in ministry, we're really good friends. So 
I'm so happy to be with my friend. I love it. I love it. Now, listen. So what people might not know is for the last three days, we have been texting and talking. So I just feel like we're picking up the conversation right where we left off. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So before we dive into uh, the topic at hand, which I'm very excited about because I have told so many people, including my counselor and therapist, that I do not have good boundaries. In fact, I didn't even know how to define boundaries. And I feel like just because of the research, your life, uh, lived experience, you have become, dare I say, an expert on really honing in what boundaries are. And so I'm so excited to go into this topic. But this is what I will say. The first time that we actually got to spend some time talking to each other, like in a long form, we were in a foreign country and we were stuck in a van for four hours going to a ancient Greek city. And uh-huh. do, you, do you remember being in, in the van trapped together? Obviously, yes. Okay. Yes. So one of the things that was forever seared in my memory is that you had what I call a deacon Bible. And a deacon Bible, they're really thick. And I mean, if you smack somebody with it, somebody could actually be in- injured, okay? It's probably around five pounds. And the pages of the Bible were tattered and it was marked up. And it was what I call affectionately biblical graffiti because you like highlighted it and you wrote and you had post-it notes. And we sat there and you gave us a random impromptu Bible study that has never left my mind. Oh, that's so great. And one of the things I think is like a springboard for this conversation is that you draw great boundaries and yet you're still warm. And so one of the things that I just want to learn from you, I want everyone to kind of like soak up all of your wisdom is that you have an amazing book. I'm actually, look, look, I got an advanced reader copy. It's on my desk. I am more than halfway through and I'm obsessed with it, Lisa. I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. I'm not this saying this because you allowed me to have a slumber party at your house, which I mean, who does that? I'm saying it because it's really, really good. The book is entitled Good Boundaries and Goodbye, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. Lisa, before we dive into this, can you just give us a sneak peek? Like, why did you dive into this topic? Why are boundaries so important to you in this season? And then can you just dive right into defining what boundaries are for us? Yeah. So first of all, I have in the past been good with certain kinds of boundaries, but in my close relationships, I just really stunk at it. And, you know, I think most people know that I went through the deepest heartbreak of my life in the past eight years, trying so hard to fight for and save what I considered my most important human relationship. And then I experienced the death of my marriage. And that's what I call it, the death of my marriage, because the grief from that was so it was just so complicated and it lasted so long. And um, there were so many complications and ups and downs and, you know, all of it. So when I finally got to the place where it was time to work on me and not just work on the marriage, but the marriage ended and now it's time to really focus working on me, I realized through a lot of help with my counselor that I struggle with codependency and codependency is where I'm okay if you're okay. So I need you to be okay. So I can be okay. So are you okay? Because I need to be okay. Okay. You know, (laughs) and what I realized is I wasn't just trying to, which, which also can be a form of people pleasing, you know, Mm -hmm. I need to keep you happy so I can be happy. But what I realized with my people pleasing, it wasn't just trying to please 
other people. It was because I feared if I didn't please them, that they would take away something that I was getting from them that I felt like I would not be okay in this world if they took that away. Yeah. So I made the choice, the unhealthy choice to just dance with dysfunction rather than tackling necessary boundaries. And where there's chaos, there's usually a lack of boundaries. And finally, the pain of the chaos got greater than my fear of people leaving me if I drew healthy boundaries. And also, I think the awareness too, and this is just confession time, but we're amongst friends here, so I can confess, right? (laughs) I had this revelation that I will always desperately want from other people what I fear I will never get from God. And so if I'm fearing that if that person walked away, that I would not be okay in this world, chances are if I fear them walking away, they're going to walk away eventually, whether I draw boundaries or not. It just really, it's like the only fighting chance that a relationship has at being healthy is to define where you begin and where they begin. And you can be super close, but it can't be so enmeshed that it requires enabling because we should not confuse the good command to love with the bad behavior of enabling. So in full candor and disclosure, I think that we're ending the podcast season with this episode and I think I had a little bit of trepidation because I knew that it was going to require vulnerability on your part and vulnerability on my part. But I think some of our fears mirror each other. And I have recently discovered that I have an abandonment complex. Like I feel like I'm going to be left alone and unworthy of love. And reading this book has been so impactful. In fact, this is kind of where I want to start. You have this amazing quote. You say, a person who continues to break your heart isn't in a place to properly care for your heart. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this just kind of sets the precedent for where we're going in this conversation. And I know that you're not a clinical therapist or psychologist, but you work very, very closely with your counselor and therapist. And you know what the, the, my favorite part of the book, I actually have to say, yes, your wisdom, but I love all your books. This was like different is that you had your counselor write aspects of the book at, after, at the end of every chapter, which I think is so fun. Now, I'm a huge advocate for this. I've had a therapist on my last book and on my next book because I just love it. I love it. So one of the things I want us to do is you have this language that you've articulated and you refer to it as emotional access. And then you are really good at drawing this line. You say limiting emotional access. Um, for somebody that has struggled historically with emotional access, like walk me through that. And let me, here's a little caveat. And I think you might resonate with this because you love hard. I love hard. I feel like I want people to have access to my heart and the realest version of me. And I fear that if I put up boundaries, I'm going to read as maybe cold or calculated or unavailable, but yet you're really wrapping language around emotional access that I want you to unpack for our listeners today. Can you kind of walk us through emotional access and the smart move of limiting our emotional access? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, before I get to the access part, I want to set a little groundwork for why we're talking about emotional access and why it's so important. And if you look at the first recorded conversation between God and Adam Mm -hmm. in the Bible, you find Mm -hmm. it in Genesis 2, of all the topics God could have chosen, 
He chose the subject matter of a boundary. Right. Yeah. You know, to to make the yeah. that the topic of the first recorded conversation yeah. and the way God did it. He says, you are free. So he he starts off setting the stage. This is for the sake of freedom. All boundaries should be to define where the freedom is. Mm. And he does have a restriction in there. You're free to eat from all the trees of the garden, but not this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from it, you will die. Okay. So what I see there is that God defines the freedom for the protection of man and the relationship. So when we think of boundaries, sometimes I think we think of only like restrictions, hard conversations, but what a gift in our friendship. If early on, or even if there's a conflict, if you and I both take time to, to communicate the boundary lines, like, you know, Bianca, I love you. And I want to be able to talk to you at any time, but because you're on the West coast and I'm on the East coast, you instinctively know not to call me at 9 PM West coast time. (laughs) Right. Yes. But if you didn't instinctively know that it would be important for me to say, Hey, Bianca, I love talking to you and I love our friendship and I have to get sleep. So (laughs) remember I'm East coast time. So let's not talk on the phone after you know, 7 p.m. West Coast time or, you know, 8 p.m. West Coast time. So boundaries don't have to be all hard and horrific. They really are for the purpose of defining where the freedom is, what is and is not acceptable. And for each of us to have the opportunity to communicate what we can and what we cannot give, what we are willing and what we are not willing to tolerate. And when you establish where the freedom is in a relationship, you don't have to be so tentative saying, I wonder, is this okay? Is that okay? And, you know, if you don't know where the boundary lines are, you don't feel that wonderful sense of freedom and assurance that the relationship is in a good, healthy place. So also we need to be seeking each other's highest good. And, you know, a good relationship, a healthy relationship is seeking each other's highest good there's safety and there's trust. Trust is the oxygen of all human relationships. Mm. So with all of that said, now let's talk about access to the level that we give someone access to our life is to the level we need to require them to be responsible with that access. We give level 10 access. They need to bring level 10 responsibility But if we are giving level 10 access to someone and they are only willing or capable of level three responsibility, the distance between those, that's where the chaos, that's where the dysfunction, that's where toxicity can grow. That's where the need for a boundary exists. Now, I used to think, okay, now I need to put a boundary on this other person to force them to lift up their level of responsibility. But we all know you cannot force another person to make a change if they aren't willing and desiring to make that change for themselves. So instead of putting another boundary on that person, which can be seen as control, manipulation, or even punishment, we need to put a boundary on ourselves and be self-controlled enough to where if they're only willing or capable of bringing level three responsibility, then we must reduce the access down to the level of responsibility that they are willing and capable 
of giving us. Listen, listen, I, I, I just, I'm going to, every podcast listener out there, I need you to pause. And then I need you to click that back button for 30 seconds, but do it twice. So you hear what this woman of God is preaching today. Listen, Lisa, I, I need people to understand that what you have distilled and broken down has taken a lot of counseling, a lot of processing, and a lot of research. You put the cookies on the lowest shelf for everyone. That was so wise and so good. So I'm going a little bit rogue because based on what you said right now, I have found myself in family relationships, friend relationships, or work relationships in good intent and best intent, asking somebody to go from a three to a four or a five or whatever. So the question that I have is, if I have given someone level 10 access before and they consistently show up at level three, how do I remove or lessen access to me? Well, it requires good conversation and you owning what you need. So instead of accusing that other person, like, you know, let's say Bianca, do you typically run late or do you typically run early? Uh, I run early. Okay. So I run early too, but for the sake of this example, let's pretend like I run late. okay? Okay. And so you will want to have a conversation with me because I keep asking you to go to conferences with me, but it stresses you out because I make you late. Yes. Right? Yes. And so you need to have a conversation with me and it goes like this. Hey, Lisa, I love going to conferences with you. That's true, right? You love going to conferences with me. Yes. And Lisa... And not, but, because if you say, but at that point, it negates all the good you just established. I love going to conferences with you and I have an issue. So Bianca, you're owning your issue. You're saying, and I have an issue. My definition of being on time is to get there 20 minutes early. That doesn't make me a better person or a worse person. That's just what I need. And Lisa, you like to be more creative with your time. (laughs) So your definition of being on time is that as long as we get there before the last note of the last praise song, then you consider that on time. I'm breaking out in hives just listening to that example. (laughs) Yes. But it's causing so much stress inside of me that I'm running the risk of not wanting to go to conferences with you, which would be sad because I like being at conferences with you. So here's what I need. I need to establish that my definition of being on time is 20 minutes early. And if you want to ride with me, then that's what we need to do. But I totally understand if you don't. So here's the deal. We can ride separate, but I will save you a seat and we will be at the conference together and our friendship will be strengthened and we'll both enjoy the conference and we'll be set up for success And so that's what I needed to communicate to you today, that that's a need that I have when going to a conference. Okay. So this role play is super helpful. Can we just distill really quick? This is what I heard. I heard you say that you're going to lead with a loving and true compliment. You're going to put the onus of what you need out there. And then if, and then you, it sounds like you give them an option to kind of like an all play, like this is what I'm going to do. And you're welcome to join in if you want to continue to come with me to conferences. Did I hear you correct? Yes. And you leave the control of their actions with them. Yeah. And you hold on to the control of your actions, which is called self-control. And here's the beautiful thing. In the midst of that conversation, you aren't threatening them. 
you, you aren't demanding from them. You aren't setting the stage for simmering resentments between you. You're setting the stage for clarity. And the best part of all, this is the best part of all. When having this conversation, you are able to clarify what needs to be clarified. So future conversations won't be so complicated Mm. and you've given them the freedom to make their own choice and you've tended well to your heart. So So I'm not saying all conversations about boundaries are going to be this neat and tidy, but it's a good fighting chance to save the beauty of this relationship and still pay attention to what we need while being respectful of what they need. I love it. I love it. Friends, I'm interrupting this podcast because if you know me, I love a good smelling house. Not only do I love a good smelling house, I love when things also help the environment. They're on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up beautiful, high-quality fragrance. The candle industry has major problems. Almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year, and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years. Yes, you heard me right. 1 million. Nose has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again and again so you don't have to become part of the problem. It's so easy to use, friends. The candles are made with fragrance wax beads. All you have to do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar, fill it up with the wax beads, enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours, and then all you have to do is do the exact same thing over again. Yes, I've been loving burning the Santal and Atlas cedar scents. They're some of my favorites. It's calming and woodsy and luxurious. I'm obsessed. I love it. There's a bunch of other fragrances, and I'm sure that you will find one that fits your fancy. You can build your custom starter kit right now. Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy Notes starter kit using the code GOINGTHERE. Yep, just use the code going there when placing your order. That's going there at notescandle.com backslash going there. I know that not everyone who listens to the podcast is a person of faith or claims to be a follower of Jesus or even the label Christian, but by and large, I think we're talking to a, a population that is our people of faith. And so from a faith perspective, um, when, when do you know—I mean, so the problem for me, I think, and what a lot of people are facing is how do you identify a healthy relationship from an unhealthy relationship, especially in the realms of Christianity? Because we are told, you know, don't grow weary in doing good and, and to persevere and to love each other well. And so you expect in relationships, whether marital, familial, or even uh, friendships, that there's going to be ups and downs. So when do you say, ah, hold on, this is not a healthy relationship and I need a boundary? Well, first of all, whenever we hit that place of I can't take it anymore, or I start saying, I can't keep doing this. Okay. You're already telling yourself this isn't healthy. Okay. Right? Yeah. But we have to pay attention to that script. And and then we have to unpack why is that? And look, Jesus did lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his one life for a high and holy purpose. He did not lay down his life to enable bad behavior to continue. Oh my God. Somebody better write that down. (laughs) Say it again, Lisa. Say it again. Jesus did lay down his life, but he did it for a high and holy purpose, not to enable bad behavior to continue. Jesus was super clear. 
Like you need to leave your life of sin. And look, we all make mistakes. So we're not talking about if someone makes a mistake here. We're talking about if someone has a pattern that they keep repeating, that they refuse to acknowledge, refuse to address. And what we don't work out, we eventually act out. And so if it's a pattern, then that's where we can start identifying some dysfunction. And a lot of Christians, and I'm not going to label anybody else, but I'm going to say my my tendency is I I tend to step into the dysfunction and dance with dysfunction because I'm afraid if I don't, then this person could walk away from me or ghost me or not give me what I want from them. But if we're afraid that that person's going to walk away and, and ghost us or whatever, or take from us something that, that we do like getting from them, that person is probably going to walk away from us eventually anyhow. Mm. So the only fighting chance we have to stay sane and to stay stable is to exercise enough self-control to put a boundary on ourselves and let the relationship play out, but keeping ourselves safe in the process. And, you know, Bianca, I think it's for me, I'm not, again, I'm not going to label everyone else, but I think for me, it gets complicated when I start saying, yeah, but it's my sister. Yeah, but it's my mother. Yeah, but it's my, my boss at work. So here's what I suggest for a minute take the label off of them and just set it aside. We're not stripping them of that label. We're just setting it aside. Look at the behavior that's being demonstrated. If this was an average everyday person, what boundaries would you need? Establish the boundaries. Put the label or the title back on them. Yes, they're still your boss. They're still your mother. They're still your sister. They're still your friend, whatever, you know. But use a healthy respect for their title but don't negate the boundaries that you've already established you need. And yeah, you may have to tweak it a little bit because of that title. I mean, we don't want, like if, it, if you need to draw a boundary with a child, you have certain responsibilities as a parent. So you don't want to use a boundary as an excuse to not fulfill your responsibilities. But if there's a boundary that's needed, the title helps you consider responsibilities for them or with them at the same time, understanding you have responsibilities to love others well while keeping the best of who you are in place. I love that. I love that. So when somebody out there is uh, trying to establish boundaries and they have realized that they're expecting someone to be at level 10 access and someone continues to show up at a level three, uh, you state what it is that you need. You take responsibility for what you need. You put the ball in their court. What is the progress report? Or what is the way to see, have somebody moved? And then if they move, do you grant them like level four, level five access? What does that look like? So that I'm not being super judgmental or just constantly looking at this person, but anyone out there that's like, I do want to be in the relationship with this person. I either work with them, they're my mom, they're my sister, they're my cousin, they're my coworker, they're my friend, but I don't know if I can continue to trust them. What is the evaluation process? Well, I wish it was as simple as a formula that we could just plug in if this, then this, you know, I I would love that. If you find that little formula or that machine, please tell me (laughs) where I can get it because I will add to cart right now. Right. (laughs) But there isn't a formula. Here's how you know that health is starting to be established in the relationship. 
is when that other person actually starts respecting your boundary. Oof. Yep. And when they start respecting your boundary, healthy people respect boundaries of other healthy people. So an unhealthy person has never met a boundary that they liked. So if this person is constantly pushing that boundary or disrespecting that boundary or trying to make you question that boundary, then you probably need to hold firm with the boundary because it hasn't established that this is what is and is not acceptable yet. But once that has been established and they are respecting this boundary, then what that tells me is they're starting to be a little more responsible with the access you've given them. So we want to take steps, not leaps. Don't just drop the boundary and assume everything's okay. But ask the Holy Spirit, help me to know and recognize when I can maybe shift the boundary, when when I can soften my reminders of that boundary. Or if the relationship gets to a really good place, maybe in some cases, the boundary will no longer be necessary. But again, steps, not leaps. Yeah. And ask the Holy Spirit for guidance because there's a million nuances with every relationship that we can't possibly give a cookie cutter answer to this. But I think that's a good pattern to establish. This is so good. I'm going back to something that's still reverberating and ringing in my mind. I might get this wrong, but you said whatever you don't work out comes out. Is that what you said? Yeah. My counselor actually says this, Jim Cress. He says, what we don't work out, we eventually act out. Oh, that's what it is. Act out. Oh my God. Goodness. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Yes. So thank you for that. Okay. So like for you, okay. I'm not going to keep turning this to you. Oh no, please. I I love free therapy, Lisa. Whatever Dr. Jim Crest tells you, just, I will take the 2.0 version. Yes. Go ahead. So how that could look for you, you already admitted on the podcast today that you've discovered that you have a little bit of fear of abandonment, right? Yeah. And so it's important for you to do the work, which is what counseling or therapy is called doing the work, right? So it's important for you to do the work so that you become more self-aware and that you start making positive progress to, it's it's not that you're going to instantly not have the fear of abandon anymore, but you learn how to manage it. It becomes attention to manage, Mm. not just something that you give permission to constantly hijack you, you know, and hijack the other person in the relationship. So it's, it's really good once you start recognizing that and you're doing the work, you will have maybe to a lesser degree or less often those freak out reactions that are out of proportion to the offense at hand, because you're, you're looking at something that maybe Matt does and he meant it as this pretty simple average everyday thing that he said to you, you interpret it as the fear of abandonment. So you're going to have an out of proportion reaction to the offense at hand. But when you start working, that's called acting out. But when you start working it out, you can have the opportunity to say to Matt, Hey Matt, what you just said sort of triggered my fear of abandonment, but I've been working on this. So can we just pause for a second and just unpack this Mm. so that I can dissipate some of the fear with the absolute truth of what you actually meant when you said that? 
That is so good, Lisa. And literally you're like coming from my neck today. I'm like smiling, but inside I'm like, oh my gosh, she's reading my mail. Lisa, do you have a ring camera in my bedroom where you're hearing me talk to Matt? Okay. So- No, because that would be weird. I just want everyone to <laughs> I have zero cameras in Bianca's bedroom. Hashtag oh, boundaries. Okay. Lisa knows her boundaries. Okay. Okay. So you kind of alluded to this, but I want to just put language and really be very clear about this because this was actually one of my questions is that I am a very emotive person and I'm a very passionate person. And so for somebody who is maybe emotive or emotional or passionate, how do we have hard boundary conversations when emotions are high? And you alluded to it, but I really want to unpack this a little bit more because I think there's going to be somebody out there. I'm going to have a relative out there that's going to resonate and empathize with being emotive. And one, I don't like hard conversations. Two, I am very emotional. Three, I have found myself getting very worked up, volume high, and it's really a fear. Like the feeling behind the emotion is fear. But in those situations, what do I do when I'm not super rational? Okay, so... One thing we have to remember is that feelings are indicators, but should never be dictators. Mm. And what I mean by that is feelings indicate that something needs to be addressed, but we don't want our feelings to dictate how we address it. We don't want our feelings to dictate how we act and react. So feelings have a place, a good place, a healthy place. You need to feel the feelings because they're indicating, they're like the warning light on a dashboard, you know? And feelings can be great, like the gas tank is full, great. But it also can say the engine is overheating. So feelings kind of work that way. They indicate the good, the bad, what needs to be talked about, what needs to be addressed. So if we are feeling all ratcheted up and less logical, then we've got to carefully pick when we have the conversations, if we want the conversations to be productive. Mm -hmm. Because if we're kicked into that fight, flight, or freeze, which usually when somebody says, I'm in the part of my brain that's not rational, that's that that, that limbic part of a brain and the amygdala where where our trauma is stored. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to take the trauma that's stored there and compound the issue at hand by adding a really chaotic reaction to it. So here's a couple of tips. If we're feeling incredibly anxious before we address this situation, drink four ounces of water. It's shown scientifically that four ounces of water reduces our anxiety level. Also give ourselves 20 minutes to calm down. It takes 20 minutes for that part of our brain to allow our more logical brain to come back online. And three, walk outside look up at the sky, remind yourself the sky is not falling. This is part of your world, but it is not the entire world. And so this is a problem, but it is not the definition of a problematic life, right? And so doing those three things along with choosing really carefully, when is the best time of day to have these kinds of conversations will lead to a more productive conversation, which is really what we want. So as we kind of like land the plane on this, there's, I have way more uh, questions to ask, but I do, I want to ask just two more. Um, One is how can my lack of boundaries get in the way? And this was actually a great question. I can't even take credit for this question. Your team came up with this question. I think it's phenomenal. How can my lack of boundaries get in the way of what God is trying to do in someone else's life? 
whoa, I did not even think about that because what it does is that it, it forces me to wrestle with, like I actually might be hurting or harming or stalling uh, what God wants to do in their life without even realize it. So can you unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. So we can be a wife, we can be a mom, we can be a friend, we can be a sister, we can be a daughter. We cannot be a savior. Ooh. And so many of us, try so desperately with good intentions to save someone else from facing consequences of their choices, because honestly, it hurts us to see them hurt. But, but if we're close enough to that person, we fear that their choices, the consequences that go along with that are not just affecting them, they're affecting us too. Yeah. And so we become desperate to save them and to save ourselves from that pain. So this is really important, especially when you're dealing with a loved one that is struggling with addictions. So think of it this way. This person is climbing up on the train tracks, oblivious and kind of in denial that there's a locomotive barreling toward them. So it's only natural because you love them for you to run up and pull them off the train tracks. And that's good. And that's noble. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that person continues to crawl back on the train tracks and you keep going and pulling them off and they climb back on and you pull them off and they climb back on and you pull them off, at some point that locomotive is going to run over you both. And that's not doing anybody any favors. You cannot control them, but God has given you the spirit, the Holy Spirit, which enables you to have self-control. And at some point you have to say, their choices are their own. I cannot control them. I cannot manipulate them into a better place. It's like if you had a cardiac event today and I started doing CPR on you, I could sustain your life using external pressure for a little while. But if your heart does not quicken and beat mm. on its own, mm. this will become an unsustainable situation. Never have you seen two friends walking around the mall, one person doing chest compressions yeah. on the other person and thought there's a healthy relationship, yeah. right? Because it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And that's the same way it is with these relationships. You can pull them off the tracks or you can apply external pressure for slight behavior modification. But unless they make the decision for themselves, you cannot work on them harder than they're willing to work on themselves. So as we wrap this up, this is the last question. I could pick your brain forever, but I have to ask this question because you have this phrase in the book that has stuck with me. It's so beautiful and so true, but I'm in a season of coming out where really drawing boundaries in leadership, church, business, friendship, family, all these boundaries. And it just feels so hard. It feels like I've been, if I'm honest with you, a, a year of grieving. And you have this phrase, you said a million little funerals. Can you unpack that a little bit? And when it comes to grieving boundaries and relationships that might be lost or changed or altered in Yes. Anytime there is a relationship change, especially if it is a relationship that ends, then there's going to be grief attached to that. That's why I call my divorce the death of a marriage, because it feels so much more appropriate for the amount of grieving that I did over the loss of this relationship. So, you know, we have a protocol in the world when someone passes away. We know what to do. We have a funeral where everybody comes and surrounds the grieving family and they bring a casserole. We know what to do. 
But when someone walks away, nobody is bringing us a casserole. Like there's no formal way to acknowledge that this is where the, the, the hope of that relationship going the distance, this is where I need to place that in the Lord's hands and acknowledge reality because mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. So we've, we've got to acknowledge the reality of this ending. And if the other person's not giving us closure, then we need to find it for ourselves. And we don't have to wait for some big ceremonial ending. We can have a million little funerals. Maybe today I'm driving in the car and one of those memories from four years ago pops up on my phone as I'm sitting at a stoplight and suddenly I'm weeping in my car because I'm reminded again of what used to be but will never be again. And it's my opportunity to walk through mentally a process of acknowledging reality, admitting that I did all that I could, closing the door on that relationship, allowing myself to grieve, reminding myself there's something I learned here, so it's not all bad. And at the same time, recognizing that there were some good memories that I can choose to hold on to if I want to. And now it's time to make new memories and walk forward. So I lead people through the process of how to have these mini funerals so that the grief doesn't feel overwhelming. We can handle it moment by moment as it comes. Lisa, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, not just on behalf of the listeners, but for me personally, you've put language and articulated some of my greatest fears and insecurities, but you've also just put a Band-Aid and a salve over some of the pain of the last four years of not having really good boundaries. I, I am the ardent supporter of all things that you do, but this book specifically, I mean, I've read Best Yes, Made to Crave, uh, uh, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, um, when it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be this way. Lisa, I, when I tell you I read your books, I read your books. This is some of the most stellar work that you've done. I can't wait to give five lucky winners a copy of this book that I personally buy on Amazon to boost those Amazon sale numbers, honey. And uh, I'm so excited for you. Thank you for your time. I so appreciate you. I'm looking at all these amazing boundaries that you have in your life and I'm seeing the fruit of it now. Thank you for being on the show. I totally appreciate you. Thank you, Bianca. It's always an honor to be with you. Well, friends, I wasn't lying. Lisa brought us some wisdom and some truth. It is the perfect way to end this season. Don't worry, there are some bonus episodes coming up and as well as our next season. I can't wait. What a joy, honor, and privilege it has been to have journeyed with you in this season. I'm so excited for our next season. As always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, this is your opportunity to do so so that you do not miss any episodes. In addition to that, would you consider leaving a lovely review and sharing the podcast with your loved ones? If this podcast has impacted your life, we'd love to hear about it. You can email any uh, thoughts, feedback, positive correction, or positive affirmation to podcast at inthenameoflove.org. Thanks for listening, friends. We appreciate you.